The following message is brought to you by Baltimore Bible Church. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Church, it is, it is a privilege to come and stand before you and open God's Word. What, what a joy it is to call you a sister church, and it is an honor to be here. It is an undeserved privilege to call your pastor one of my dearest friends in life, a co-laborer in the ministry of proclaiming Christ and one of my sweetest prayer partners. We pray together every week, and I look forward to it every week. I wake up every Wednesday morning so excited because I know one of the first voices I'm going to hear is your pastor. Don't be jealous. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I get that privilege and what a joy it is. You know this, but it's good for you to hear it from me. You are blessed beyond belief. You really are. You are blessed beyond belief to have George as your pastor. A man who is both tender in spirit and uncompromising with truth. That is almost an impossible mix to find in our world today. And your pastor, by God's grace, because God looked upon his falling soul and poured his undeserved love and mercy into his heart, has transformed him into a man and continues to transform him into a man of God. And it is a blessing, a blessing to call him friend and to labor with him and to learn from him as I have and continue to do. It is a joy for me and our church to pray for you. We pray for you every week and it has been a blessing for us over this year and a half to pray for Shireen. I shared with our church at the end of our service this morning about coming over and about the update on Shireen and and it would have encouraged your soul to see the movement in our church because of so many people who knew her but yet never met her because they've been praying for her by name for so long. And when I shared the update that you shared with everyone about where she is in the presence of the Lord, people were just starting to cry. That's the way it should be, right? We're in this together. We bear with one one another's burdens. We weep with one another. We rejoice with one another. But I also know this, that as our dear brother George and Precious sister Jennifer and the family are heavy-hearted because of the reality of the home-going of Shireen. His heavy heart also brings your heavy heart, doesn't it? Because there's a sweet truth by God's design between, in God's church between the pastor and the people, between the under-shepherd and the sheep. You're inseparably linked whether you want to be or not. It's God's design. So as your pastor goes, so you'll go. That's why pastors must always, always fight faithfully for holiness. Because as they go, so the congregation will go. If your pastor's growing and your pastor is faithful, it will trickle down into the congregation. And if he's not, that will trickle down as well. Scary, but true. But as your pastor is rejoicing, you will often reap the benefits of the rejoicing. And it'll just flow over to your life. But if your pastor's struggling if he's hurting, if his family is, is hurting, you will hurt as well. 
And that's the reality of the family of God. Just like in, in our homes, when our wives or our husbands or our children, right? The whole family. I mean, it's kind of like when one gets sick, you just kind of look at each other and say, okay, who's next? Right? You, you understand it's that way in the body of Christ. So when I come this morning, I come without any hesitation to seek to bring God's Word to comfort your soul, brother. You called me and you asked me, and I'm honored to do this. I was here at the beginning, and it is a privilege to be here at the end in light of all that God has done in Shireen's life. So I come to just bring God's Word and pray that it will be what it is, a balm to your soul, to strengthen you, sister, to lift your spirits to the Lord, where comfort, where confidence, and where contentment in the midst of this confusion and chaos can come. But church, I also come to bring it for you as well. So together we can be strengthened in the Word, be strengthened in the sufficient grace of our Lord that comes from His all-powerful living Word. Amen? You know, I have to share this one little story about Shireen. Every interaction I had with her was exactly what George described. That's why I was cracking up when you were describing. I was like, yep, yep, vibrant, charismatic, awesome. And she just, she talked to me like she had known me for a hundred years. Matter of fact, it's, this blew me away. I, I was at a conference in, in Kentucky with a number of our leaders at our church. Uh, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it might have been a G3 conference. So this was years ago. This would have been a year ago, I guess, right? And I'm there, and this is like 5,000, 6,000 people. It's crazy. And I'm like in the middle, just in the middle of nowhere in the sea of people. And I hear somebody calling my name in the middle of the conference. Everybody's singing. I hear, Pastor Matt. Pastor Matt, I'm like, who knows me here? I'm a nobody from West Virginia. Nobody knows me. And then people down the row are like, are you Pastor Matt? Are you Pastor Matt? So the trickle eventually comes down, and I'm in the middle, and I'm like looking out, and I'm like, and this lady's going, and I'm like, I'm thinking, who is that? I don't know who that is. And she's just like, (laughs) so I'm like, well, she knows me, but I can't remember her. I'm embarrassed, right? I go out there. And I'm thinking, ma'am, I don't know who you are. She's like, Pastor Matt, do you, it's Shireen. And then immediately I knew who it was. And I'm like, Shireen, give her a big hug. Like the whole people are, are singing, they're looking forward. There we are, just embraced in the middle of this con. We have like a 10-minute conversation right there. Oh, Pastor Matt, how are you doing? What's going on? Thank you for praying for me. It was awesome. That's the way she was. There in the middle of that conference, just sweet. What a blessing. What a joy. I can't wait to worship, serve and be with her in heaven. What a, glorious, what a glorious day that will be. Well, as George asked me to come and open God's Word, I prayed. I didn't want to just flippantly turn to anything or bring something that I just preached. You don't want me to preach what I just preached at our church. We're, trust me, we're, we're, we're starting Mark 13, and I did part two of an introduction to eschatology. So that went for about an hour and a half. So you don't want that. You don't want that. You don't want that, trust me. So that's not what this is. But as I prayed and wrestled with a number of texts that I I knew would be comforting if we opened to them, my heart was settled and uh, uh, I wanted to go to one that is familiar probably for all of us. And 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 to be honest with you, as I was praying through the night and got up in the morning and was still wrestling with it, I had a hesitation about bringing this text because it's familiar. And I felt chided and repented and said, why would, why would we ever be afraid of a text that's familiar? Don't we need to hear it? Don't we need to be reminded? And in some ways, it's the familiarity that shouldn't breed contempt in our hearts. It should breed further comfort. 
And this is one of these texts that you can never hear too much. But as someone who has, I'm, I'm telling you, and it'll come out a little bit in the sermon, I'm, I'm sure, who has basically looked up every single word in this text in Hebrew and, and translations and worked through it and written much about it, I can tell you there is much in this passage that most of us might have never heard or need to hear again. So I encourage you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, as we wrestle not only with the sadness of this time, and rightfully so, but more important, we seek to go right where we must in times like this. We go right back to the source of all comfort, the source of all confidence, the source of all contentment in the midst of chaos is Christ Himself is our Lord and Savior, the Great Shepherd. And this passage points us in that direction as we consider our amazing God who is our tender shepherd. I dare say there's probably not a greater truth in all of Scripture that will comfort your soul in the midst of sadness and suffering than knowing that the cosmic, awesome, sovereign, omnipotent God of all the earth is the God who carries you in His hand. I pray this text will encourage all of us as we're reminded of these truths. By now, hopefully you're in Psalm 23. Let's look at it together. You follow along silently as I read this passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Psalm 23 is without any question by far one of the most beloved, if not the most loved and well-known psalms in all the scriptures. This song has been a constant source of comfort and confidence to all wayward travelers on their way to the celestial city of God. Thus, Charles Spurgeon referred to it as the pearl of all the Psalms. Another writer expresses the deep impact of this simple psalm when he says, and I quote, No single psalm has expressed more powerfully man's prayer of confidence to God, whose purpose alone gives meaning to the span of life from the womb to the tomb. Alexander McLaren says, and I quote, It has dried many tears and supplied the mold into which many hearts have poured their peaceful faith, unquote. Now, regarding the context of this psalm, we have the superscription, that is the title right before it, that tells us Psalm 23 is a psalm of King David. Thus, King David is the psalm's author. And there is no reason for us to doubt this reality because we know that David wrote at least 73 psalms. And furthermore, we understand that David was both 
a shepherd. We can read about that in 1 Samuel 16, 11, and as well as in 1 Samuel 17, 14, and 15, verse 20 and 28. We see it multiple times in Scripture, other Scriptures, like Psalm 78, verses 70 to 72. But he was also not only a a shepherd himself, but he was personally shepherded by his shepherd king. And he brings that up not only in Psalm 23, but also Psalm 28, 9. In Psalm 80, verse 1, I think Asaph talks about it there. And, and yet David again in Psalm 95, 7. However, in this psalm, it's not only using the imagery of a shepherd, but towards the end, it, it brings out the imagery of a host. And isn't it interesting that David would have been both? He would have been a man who had shepherded as well as a king who hosted many people. And thus he understood the dynamics and the nuances to being both a shepherd and a host. He would have understood anointing cups. He would have understood cups running over. He would have understood banquets before his enemies, which is another part of this great song. Therefore, this psalm is really, in every way, a declaration a declaration about the great shepherd from the vantage point of the sheep, King David. One important part of the context, and don't miss this because sometimes we just kind of jump in, parachute in, but I don't want to do that because I think this is helpful and important and encouraging. The context of Psalm 23 is, is really located in what many have rightfully called a trilogy of psalms. It's in the middle of Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. And if you go back and you read those later and, and consider those, you're going to find that they are really a trilogy of the shepherd king. In Psalm 22, you're going to find Yahweh is seen as the, as the servant king. In Psalm 23, as the shepherd king. And in Psalm 24, as the sovereign king. Now, the internal context of Psalm 23 is crystal clear. And it directly connects to every reader as it delivers the source of true and lasting satisfaction. One commentator, John Kitchen, rightfully described this psalm as the song of the satisfied soul, despite living in a world filled with sadness. This song strengthens the weary soul through vividly describing the confidence, the comfort, and the contentment found ultimately in and through Yahweh's personal watch care for His people. Thus, this psalm, and all the psalms, if we're going to be honest, are really about living the right life while living in the real world. This is the real world. Death cometh to all of us. Sadness is part and parcel of our lives, sometimes daily. And yet, how are we going to live rightly in the midst of it? How are we going to learn to suffer well? How are we going to learn, as George, and it's already been mentioned multiple times, to mourn, but yet to mourn with hope? It's not easy. And yet, we're called to that. And we must equip ourselves and prepare ourselves for that. And we must comfort ourselves even in this today. And so, brother and sister, church, really, it's going to be really simple. We're going to work through this text. And I really want us to see three important truths right here. And I've given, I've given them to you already multiple times this morning. I want to help us, remind us, I want to help us see the source of all confidence. I want to help us and see, really, the source of all comfort. 
I want to help us, remind us, and see the source of all contentment. Because in the midst of sadness, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of death, isn't it? Those three areas seem to be lost. In the midst of this time, we lose our confidence, don't we? It's like we get shaken. We, our knees get wobbly. We begin to doubt. We begin to wonder, why, Lord? Where are you, Lord? And that's normal to us in our frailty of humanity, isn't it? But the Scriptures give us the answer. They point us back to the place where we can have, we can have confidence and yet even comfort, not only as we face the death of loved ones, but even the death of ourselves. And yet, even in the amazing reality of facing these issues, we can have contentment, satisfaction in the midst of suffering and sadness. I don't know about you, but I want that, and I need that. So, here's my proposition for the sermon. Three, three eternal truths about the chief shepherd. Three eternal truths from this glorious song we're going to learn this morning. Three eternal truths about the chief shepherd and his personal care for his sheep. Three never-changing facts about Yahweh's care for his own. Here are three words that will help you track with me through the text. You're going to see very clearly that the great shepherd provides. And because he provides... We have confidence, provides. You're going to see your second word, preserves, preserves the great shepherd. He preserves his sheep. He not only provides for his sheep, but he preserves them even in the midst of death itself. He holds them fast. And what does that bring? Comfort, comfort. And lastly, we're going to see that the great shepherd, he promotes his sheep. He prospers. He promotes them. And what does that bring? Satisfaction. Now, I got to go preaching already because of this, but I'll come back to it. But listen, one of the struggles we have in this world is we try to promote and prosper ourselves rather than finding our prosperity and our promotion in the satisfaction of God himself. This psalm will help us with that. And it's so, so encouraging. Praise the Lord. Number one, the first eternal truth, the first never-changing truth, the first fact we must see from this text is the shepherd personally provides for his sheep. He personally provides for his sheep. You can see that in verses 1 to 3. So this psalm really will break down in three parts, verses 1 to 3, verse 4, and verses 5 to 6. And in verses 1 to 3, we see this reality of confidence, confidence that comes from understanding and embracing the fact that the great shepherd personally provides for his own. In verses 1 to 3, we see there is a declaration at the beginning and some descriptions at the end, and we'll look at those as we go through it. Now, right away, we see in verse 1, David declares emphatically. He makes a, a, a serious declaration of confidence about Yahweh. Look at the text with me as David starts this song with a definitive declaration of confidence and hope because of who this protector, who this provider is. Notice what David says. The Lord is my shepherd. Stop right there. 
There are only two words in Hebrew here, but they are rich with meaning as it drives the whole passage. It drives this whole song. If you look at it, look down at the page. How does it end? You see, Lord at the end, Lord at the beginning. It's bookended. This entire song is bookended by the name Yahweh because this entire psalm is all about him. It's all about him. It's all for him, to him, and from him. And David is declaring this right from the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. Do not miss it. The psalm starts with the, with the divine covenant name of God, Yahweh, which is not something to gloss over, especially when you consider how it is used with the descriptor shepherd and the personal connotation, my. Yahweh is highlighted here in our English translations, and you will know this, I'm sure. Every time you see capital O, capital R, capital, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Lord, right? That is Yahweh. That's the translators alerting us that that's Yahweh. You see capital L, lowercase o-r-d, that's often Adonai or Elohim. Elohim's often translated God. But here, when you see these all caps, that is alerting to us that this is the covenant special name of God himself, Yahweh. And this name speaks to the fact that God is the self-existent one, the I am that I am, which we see in Exodus 3.14. Yet this name carries with it a deep sense of imminence, or you could say the personal nearness of God. And we see that in Exodus 3.12 where God tells Moses these famous words, Moses, I will be with you. Remember at the burning bush? I don't know, Lord, can't really do that. And God's like, yeah, you can't, but I'm going with you. I will be with you. Yahweh, I am that I am is going to be with you. I'm going to be near Moses. It's, it's an amazing truth. You can see this interesting ways in Scripture. Later on, you can look at Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2, and in the beginning, what do you see? Elohim, 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 God, 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 right? God created the heavens and the earth. God creates light. God creates um, the, the stars, the heavens, all of the creation. But when it gets to man, isn't it interesting? It says, Yahweh, Elohim, the Lord God, There's a personal nearness in his creation of man. There's a personal uh, intimacy, imminence, closeness. You can even see this in uh, Psalm 19. Isn't it interesting? You're in in Psalm 19 and you have the special, you have the general revelation, first six verses, and then starting in verse seven, you have the general revelation, right? It's Elohim, 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 and then when you get to starting verse seven, it's Yahweh, Yahweh because he is near in his special revelation through his son ultimately, right? So you can see this reality. And so what David is highlighting here is not something that we just breeze over. He's talking about the fact that Yahweh himself is near to David, so near that he calls him my Lord. Now, in this context, in Hebrew context, this is pretty shocking because the, Israel, the Israelites were not accustomed to speaking of God at such a personal level. They would speak to him as our Lord. They would speak to him in a nationalistic sense, where he was our God, our Yahweh, our Lord. But to speak on a more personal level, my Lord, that's a, that's a pretty serious statement. And David is declaring it. He's declaring that this intimate, personal God who is the great creator of all the heavens is also David's shepherd, guide, provider. 
Now you can see it very clearly. He's the provider. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd means to lead, guide, protect, feed, provide. It's all, it's all wrapped up into the term. So Yahweh is the one who provides for me. This is a declaration that David is making, which further gets clarified in the next phrase. What does it say? I shall not want. Yahweh is my provider. I shall not want. Now, the, the translation want of the Hebrew there is wanting. Okay? It's probably not the best way uh, to translate that. Because we hear the word in English, want, and it thinks, the Lord is my shepherd, I will have no other desires, right? I will have no other wishes. We use that word kind of like that way, and, and, and it could mean that, but that's not what it means. Actually, what the Hebrew means here, and it's so much clearer in understanding this, and it kind of jumps off the page, the Lord is my shepherd, he will give me everything I need. That's what's being said here. The Lord is my personal provider, and therefore I will lack nothing in what I need. That's the declaration that David is making here. It's a divine declaration of the provision and provider of Yahweh. Now, he goes on from the declaration in the rest of in the verse 2 and verse 3, and now he's going to give us some descriptions. He's described... He's declared the Lord to be his shepherd, and he's told us the impact of that, that he will lack nothing. He will not lack anything that he needs. Now he's going to give us these descriptions of how that gets fleshed out. How does the Lord provide that? And it's interesting. I want you to notice three three truths here about the Lord Yahweh, the provider. Notice, Notice how David describes him. He describes him as a guide. A provider, a provider who guides him to the places he needs to be so that he can find the sustenance he must have. Notice number one, he describes him, verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Right away you can see that this sovereign Lord, his shepherd, the provider, guides him sovereignly and diligently. That's what he's saying in the text. This Lord guides me sovereignly. Notice the text. It's, it's causative in the Hebrew. He makes me lie down. Do you see the authority? Do you see the sovereignty? It's like he doesn't ask me to lie down. He forces me to lie down. And don't we need that? He has authority over the sheep. He commands the sheep and they listen, right? But there's comfort in that. He's caring for his own. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The, the way the Greek is formed here, or the Hebrew is formed here, it's not only causative, but it carries with it this idea of continuous. He continues, he, he continues and regularly provides for me by making me lie down, by bringing me to green pastures, and that is comforting. He is a sovereign and diligent guide. Now, the word green pastures is, is encouraging. It carries with it this idea of rich, young, tender shoots that would have filled the, the, the hillside and the meadow in that culture. The words carry the idea of an abundance of lush green grass after a spring rain, which would have been very common in that culture in the spring when it's nor- normally arid and dry, but in the spring everything comes to life. Well, it's easy for a shepherd to find lush green grass, fertile 
shoots in the spring. But it's hard. As a matter of fact, it's nearly impossible to find that kind of sustenance the rest of the year. But not for this diligent shepherd. He knows how to bring his sheep to the place of green pastures even in the midst of a drought. He is a diligent, sovereign shepherd who guides his sheep right to the spot of sustenance and strength even in the midst of drought and darkness. He is a diligent shepherd. He knows how to guide. But he's not only a sovereign and diligent shepherd. Notice the rest of verse 2. He is a tender shepherd. He guides tenderly. Look at the text. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Oh, this is good. This speaks of the tenderness of our guide. This speaks of the tenderness of the shepherd who provides. The word leads here speaks of compassion and gentleness. The word in Hebrew literally means to grab someone who is helpless by the hand and guide them. Much like you might do someone who is blind or someone who is in need or someone who is disabled and you'd come alongside and, and you'd grab them or a child that can hardly walk, right? And they're tottering and you'd come alongside and you grab them by the hand to help them. That's the word picture here when it says he leads me. He comes alongside and he leads tenderly. David has a tender shepherd. He has a diligent shepherd. He grabs him by the hand. Dear loved ones, this is how our Lord leads us. This is how our Lord has and will lead Israel in their kingdom and how he leads his church now. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, and Isaiah 49, verse 10, use this same imagery of, of our sovereign shepherd, our gentle shepherd, where it says, he will lead us like the shepherd would lead the ewe lambs, the pregnant ewe lambs, in tender compassion. Or like he would lead the little ewe lambs, where in that day, the shepherd, it was common for him to take a newborn little lamb. And you know what he would do? He would take his cloak, right, because they wore the different layers of, of garments, and he would open it up and he would put the little lamb, much like may, uh, moms do with the baby Bjorns and all those crazy wrapped up uh, blankets and, and um, curtains, and you're just like, I don't know how they do that. <laughs> Every time we did that with our kids, I was always like, Lord, don't let them fall out. Don't let them fall out, because I always felt like, how does that hold them? But then you go to get them out, and you're like, I can't even get the baby out of here. It's like crazy. And the word picture is that. It's like the shepherd takes this sweet little ewe lamb and he, and he opens up his cloak and he puts him inside. Why? To keep him warm, keep him protected, to keep him with the rest, the rest of the flock. And that's what, that's what David is, is saying here. He, he leads me beside still waters. Isn't it interesting? Still waters speaks of a place of refreshment and rest. Do you know sheep can't rest by rapid waters? They are very anxious. They are very, um, um, they, they, they just are constantly moving back and forth. And they need to sit down because they have chambered stomachs. And if they don't sit down, then they can't chew their cud. And then they can't digest their food. And then they get stomach issues. Isn't that interesting? Well, we're sheep. And if we don't rest, and if we're not calm, we get stomach issues. And we have all kinds of problems, don't we? Isn't that interesting, right? So many analogies about God referring us to sheep. I'll leave some of them alone because you know where they go. But anyway, right? So we're like that. And it says he leads them by still waters. It, it really is a picture of rest. The still waters, they're calm and they bring calm. 
Rapid waters, tumultuous waters in the Scriptures often speaks of of chaos, of calamity, and anxiety. But this shepherd brings them to the place of cool waters, a place of restoration. And you can see that even even at the beginning of verse 3. He restores my soul. That's literally what that means. He he takes my life and, and, and in the midst of calamity, he brings calm. In the midst of disorder, He brings order. Just like God in the beginning of creation took the disorder of of what was and brought order into it. And so it is in our lives. Our shepherd, who is our provider, He leads us diligently, sovereignly, and tenderly. And in so doing, He brings calm to the chaos of our life. He strengthens us. He watches over us. And He restores our soul. He brings refreshment in the, in the totality of our lives. Again, see the causative. He restores our soul. It's His doing. It's His blessing. This restore in the context, again, speaks of physical and, and spiritual restoration, which, again, David knew something about this, didn't he? Many times. What about Psalm 32 in the midst of his, in the midst of his disaster with Bathsheba and all that he all the chaos he brought upon himself, his family, and the nation. And yet, when you read Psalm 32 and you get to verses 5 and 7, you see the restoration of his soul, don't you? The man who hid his sin was a man who wept, tossed on his couch, his bones wasted away, disorder. But when he confessed his sins to the Lord, he was forgiven. He was restored. Peace came back to his life. Calm came back to his life. And we see that. This is a shepherd that knows how to restore those who are in chaos and calm. And we see this again, the imagery of this illustrated in, our, in the chief shepherd, the Lord Christ, in Luke 15, where he goes, he leaves the 90 and 9 for the purpose of what? Going out and finding those who have went astray so that he might bring them back in and what? Restore them. Restore them. And how vital that is. Look at verse 3. We see this great provider, he, he leads sovereignly, diligently, tenderly. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's interesting here, again, in our English, sometimes it can be confusing. The word, the Hebrew word for leads is a little different here now than the other one. Where this one is a little different. Remember before it was he leads the hopeless, the helpless, He tenderly takes those who need help by the hand. Here, the idea speaks more of leading one through a wilderness. This really speaks of of the fact that we not only have a shepherd who leads tenderly, sovereignly, diligently, but wisely. He knows the path I need to be on. He knows how to bring me to the right place. Listen, the wisdom of our God is, is way too minimized, isn't it? Way too minimized. Three areas, I think Jeff, we're, Jeff, Jeff gave us 10 aspects of, of theology proper that was awesome out of Psalm 25, right? One of them that came up. There's actually three that you must never forget. Never forget. The power of God, which speaks of His sovereignty. The love of God, which speaks of His grace. And the wisdom of God. You never forget those three realities. When your life starts to go off the rails, you utilize those truths as equilibrium to your life spiritually because they will be. They will bolster and, and buffet your life in all the right ways. 
Because isn't it interesting, we tend to get anxious, nervous, and scared when we lose sight of the sovereign power of God. This situation is, is getting out of control. It's too much. What have we lost sight of? God's in control. Okay, all right. I'm not sure what you're doing, Lord, but I know you got this. The power of God brings calm. Isn't it interesting, in the midst of suffering, trial, and sadness, how quickly we will go to, Lord, are you there? Lord, where are you? Psalmists do it all the time. We get, you get it. Lord, have you left us? Lord, my prayers just don't go beyond the ceiling. What's going on? The power of God, the love of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It'll help you. But this one here, I think, is the one we forget about the most. The wisdom of God. He knows how to get you through whatever you're going through. He knows what path you need to be on. And he knows, look at the the text. He knows that path and he leads you to it. He leads you to the path of righteousness. The right path. Actually, it's interesting. And this is where I'll get lost, so George, bring me back. But in the Hebrew, it's fascinating. It actually speaks of, of a wagon trail, right? So the imagery of the Hebrew, Hebrew is like, so Greek is, is kind of uh, dull and, and, and white and gray, right? So it's like watching um, Andy Griffith in the old black and white, right? Hebrew is like watching Andy Griffith in color, right? Hebrew just is like, it just bleeds with so much animation. It's, it's the amazing reality of, of Hebrew. And so in this text, what it's really speaking of, he leads me back to the cattle trail, back to the wagon trail, which speaks of paths that are firm, ruts that are clearly traveled, ruts where that you can get in and you won't get lost out of, the place where you need to go to follow in behind all those who have gone before you, right? If you've ever been, like I was, raised on, uh, around farms and no cattle and how they function and sheep and they what? They plow a rut in the road and they, and they walk it all the time. And it's like you get off that, they get lost, they get hurt, but when they're in that zone, they're safe because it's going to eventually lead them back to the stall. And he knows how to bring us to the paths that are firm, paths that are strong, paths that will lead us to ultimately his righteousness. Right paths, that's what it means, not wrong paths. And isn't that what we do? George quoted it earlier, Isaiah 53, right? All we, like sheep, have what? Gotten off the right path. All we, like sheep, have gotten into paths of unrighteousness. That's what it means to be wayward. But God leads us back to right paths. And what a blessing that is. Why? How? Because he's a wise guide. He's a wise shepherd. He provides. It's so important to see this. Much more that could be said about that. But what confidence this brings to the sheep to know and see that they are personally cared for and provided for all of life through the tender hand of this faithful shepherd. Notice as, it, as verse 3 wraps up, for his name's sake. Do not miss this. Sorry, I'm getting excited and you're going to have to cut me off, brother. In the context, a shepherd, I love this, a shepherd that could not bring his sheep home was considered a worthless shepherd. God cares more about his reputation, his glory, his name, than he does about anything else on the planet. And it's right for him to care about that. 
And here's the amazing blessing of that. We are directly tethered to his reputation. If God loses any one of his own, if God loses any one of his sheep, he will be seen as a worthless shepherd. In that context, that's how shepherds were seen to be worthless, and nobody wanted them. Nobody would farm them out. I heard, I heard you lost three of Billy's sheep last week. No, thank you. No, thank you. Go down and see my neighbor Dan, but uh, we're good, right? Because the sheep are a big deal. That's their commodity. I don't want to lose any of my sheep. No, for his name's sake, he will not lose any of his own. For his glory is at stake, and he will defend his glory at all costs. What a phenomenal blessing. That, ter- that turns the whole reality of the love of God right where it should be. God loves his glory, and therefore he loves us, right? We don't minimize the fact that he loves us, but he loves us even more because of his glory, because we are tethered to it, as he's promised to redeem his own, as he's promised to bring us, not simply forgive us, but to bring us home to glory. You understand this well, that you are in the process of being saved, right? You are saved in that you are justified. The penalty of sin has been forgiven. Praise the Lord, you are saved. However, you're not yet saved, right? You are being saved in that you're dealing with your sin and fighting with your sin and you're being sanctified. That's dealing with the presence of sin. Penalty of sin, done with. Presence of sin, not so much. But one day, the presence and the power of sin will all be gone. That's glorification. And God Almighty has promised to do that. He has promised to bring us home. And if he doesn't, he would prove to be a worthless shepherd. But we know he's not. So, again, do you see the, remember what I said, the confidence. Do you see the confidence that comes when you know your shepherd? Application point, spend time getting to know your shepherd. Spend time getting to see and know that you have a God, a God who is personally providing for you. And he provides for you in a way in which he sovereignly and diligently leads you. A God in which he tenderly leads you. He leads you by the hand. And a God who wisely leads you, even when you can't figure it out. Lord, I don't know about this. Well, you don't need to know about it. I got it. That'll bring confidence to your life in the midst of chaos. Number two, number two, I'm skipping ahead, sorry. I want to keep preaching, but I want to, I want to come back. So, look, see, I'm, 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 I'm flipping through notes here. I'm trying. What time we got to be done here? I don't want to, I don't want to wear you out. Brother. Oh, you should have told me that sooner. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, I'm backing up. See how that works? No, I'm here. <laughs> what, a, what a blessing. Number two, the shepherd powerfully not only provides for his sheep, and thus we grow in confidence, but look at the text. The shepherd powerfully pre- preserves his sheep, and thus we grow in comfort. 
The shepherd in this section is not only a personal guide, but also a powerful protector. A powerful protector. This song of satisfaction clearly transitions here now in multiple ways. Do not miss it. First, we see a clear geographical change as we go from the lush fields of the mountaintop to the dark, deep valleys where danger lurks. Secondly, we see a theological transition where the great shepherd not only, don't miss it, leads his sheep in green pastures, but also through dark, dry deserts. Thirdly, we see this song has moved, this is big, from talking about Yahweh, the shepherd, to actually talking to the great shepherd of all, which points to him, David's personal protector who preserves David's life. Now, notice verse 4 is again driven by this concessive clause. You see it in verse, verse 4. Even though, don't, don't miss this, even though, not if, or even but when, he says, but even though I. It's a, concess, it's a concession. Even though I go through the, through the valley of the shadow of death. It is this reality. It's a, it's a, it's a major contrast between what has already happened. So even though is setting up, okay, this was good, we were in green pastures, we were in lush, lush green pastures, still waters, but now something, something's going to change in the text. Turmoil's coming. That's what it's alerting us. And though the path may take me through pain and p- peril, David says, though, though I may have to go through the darkness of the deep valley, David says, I will fear no evil, because my great protector has not left me, don't miss it in the text, but he has actually come alongside me and is now carrying me. If the Lord not only leads us on right paths, we've already saw that, dear loved ones, if he not only leads us to the right paths of sustenance and strength and sanctification, but he also, notice, also leads us into dark valleys Does that mean that the dark valleys are the right paths for us sometimes? Dark valleys are often, don't miss this, please. I beg of you, hear this. I know it's, the hour is late, it's afternoon, but church, this is so vital. We have to be reminded. We know this, but we need to hear it all the time. Dark valleys are often the necessary path to the next place of rest. Think about the picture. The shepherd would often have to move sheep through treacherous ravines and canyons as he led them to what? The abundant green pastures and still waters. Thus, hiking the right paths often demand heading into and through difficult paths. David describes this path as the valley of the shadow of death which is, again, two Hebrew words that carry a superlative meaning of the deepest of darkness, impenetrable gloom. And thus, the strongest Hebrew word for darkness is what is used here. David here makes an allusion to the the dark recesses or dens of wild beasts. I think it was John Calvin that talked about this, that what David is, is speaking of here is these dark recesses of wild beasts that the minute you step into it, immediately, immediately you are, you are gripped with the fear of death. Now, notice, 
despite the darkness, despite the difficulty, and even facing death, David says, another declaration, I will fear no evil. Here we see the depth of David's trust in Yahweh as trust in the face of fear flows from his heart even in the midst of undeniable terror and death. Thus, it is, not, it is not that David does not have fear. He just will not allow his fear to control him because he draws comfort from the protection of the shepherd. So David makes a bold declaration, I will not fear, but then immediately gives the remedy for the fear that, that sought to assail him and enslave him. And what is it? Because you are with me. David's lack of fear had nothing to do with his own strength. David's lack of fear had nothing to do with his macho manliness, whatever that is. David's lack of fear was not some some prideful response and busting out his chest saying, I got this. David's lack of fear was because of one thing and one thing alone, because he understood that God was with him. It was the presence of Almighty God that eviscerated David's fear. Therefore, David, when meditating on the dark shadows that would no doubt pass through his life, he found comfort not from some man-centered carnal security, but from God-centered faith that yielded an eternal security. Part of the problem of being overwhelmed in times of terror is being surprised when the dark shadow covers your life. Not so with David. He declares both the reality of these difficult times and his plan of protection when he goes through it. Notice these most comforting words, dear loved ones. I believe these are, these are some of the most comforting words in all the Scriptures. As a pastor, I return to these words often, not only for, for my own soul, but for the, soul of the souls of the sheep that I have the privilege to shepherd. And brother and sister, I remind you of this now. Listen to these words. David David says, for you are with me. We read this because of the familiarity and we're just like, yeah, for for God is with me. No, 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 don't do that. For you, Yahweh, sovereign, you are with me. Do you see the the change, the major shift in the text? David has gone from the first person, third person perspective, and now he's in the second person. You, David says. He's no longer talking about God, but now he's talking directly to God. Thus, we see the force of David's faith is not the denial of looming death, but the reality of God's personal presence. Therefore, David says, I will not focus on the shadow of death, but on the one who will carry me through it. Just as a shepherd never left the presence of his sheep so that he could and did personally provide and protect them, he would at times come closer to them. Instead of sitting up on the hillside where they would often sit to guard against the wolves or danger in in all forms, the shepherd would at times come down, come down and get close to the sheep and at times carry the sheep. Notice in the text, David is no longer being led by his shepherd. He is no longer having his shepherd out in front of him, which was the normal position of a shepherd where he would call the sheep and he would be out front. Here it is clear. The shepherd is in the midst of the valley with him. He is with him. 
Oh, this is powerful. This is powerful, dear, dear loved ones. The shepherd is with his sheep beside them as he carries them through, which is exactly what John 10 says about our great shepherd, that we are what? Held in his hand, and his hand is in the Father's hand. This truth is an overriding theme, and I believe one of the most powerful promises in all of Scripture, that in the midst of days like this, brother and sister, congregation, you need to be reminded, God is with you. God is walking with you. You can go from the beginning to the end of Scripture and you will see this promise and it will comfort your soul. Jacob struggled, didn't he? But in Genesis 28, 15, Jacob's struggle was starting to end because God promised, yeah, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to be with you. I'll be with you. Moses struggled, as we saw at the burning bush. And what did Moses need to hear? Exodus 3, 12. I am with you. Joshua struggled, Lord, how am I going to do this? Moses is dead, and I was just an intern. That's what he was. Come on. Lord, what am I going to do? Joshua 1.5. Don't worry about it. I'm going to be with you. What in the world? Is, you've got to love the story of David and Goliath. Where in the world does David's courage come from? To stand before nine-foot Goliath. Comes from this fact. That, what did David say? Just as God was with me when I slayed the lion and the bear, so he will be with me when I slay this uncircumcised Philistine. God was with him. Courage, comfort, even in the midst of death. Isaiah seven fourteen. The child will be born and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. A, that's an, a massive theological truth. Isaiah 43, 1-5, Though you walk through the fires, Israel, I will be with you. Jeremiah 1, 8, Jeremiah, you're going to be a voice for me and everyone's going to hate it, but don't be afraid, I will be with you. Church, you're going to be given the awesome privilege of taking the gospel to the four corners of the earth and you're going to be persecuted for it, but remember what he says, don't worry, I will be with you. Remember Paul when he goes into Corinth? Whoo, he got ran out and he's like, I'm done. Forget that. And God says, no, no, we're not forgetting that. There are still some of my people in that city that are not yet saved that need to hear the truth. You go back in. But don't worry, no one's going to hurt you. Why? Because I'll be with you. You see how this just, just bleeds through the scriptures? It's so encouraging. One of the greatest passages that I preached the last time I think I was here, Romans 8. That passage is so comforting because it teaches really this truth. God will never leave us nor forsake us. Death itself cannot remove the presence of God. We need to be reminded of that. I love that the illustration of this. It blows my mind in in Acts 9, 4, when, when, when Christ comes to Saul on the road to Damascus, and, and Saul's conversion is about to happen. And what does he say to Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Nope. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What? He's there with his people. His people are persecuted. He's persecuted. He's walking with them. Oh, that we would get this. Notice the text. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These were well-known tools of the shepherd. 
tools that would have comforted, tools that would have encouraged, tools that would have, would have helped bring security to the sheep as they recognized and seen him fighting off the wolves, fighting off the, the bandits to protect the sheep, and the shepherd's crook, the staff to untangle the sheep from sharp briars and protecting the sheep from deadly snakes and these tools and implements to gently prod or poke the sheep along to keep them moving. How important these would have been for the sheep and the shepherd to bring confidence and and comfort and importance. Now notice, don't miss this, dear loved ones, I repeat it. The word comfort carries the idea of of consoling in the midst of mourning and grieving. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, there it is, comforts me. There's the comfort. Comfort in the midst of death. Massive point. As the shadow has not hurt him, but the shadow has actually what? The actually, actually the death shadow itself has actually been used by God to draw him closer to God. The shadow of the valley of, the, of death, the, the darkness, the sadness, the death, the suffering, the difficulty, whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you will face, rest assured, dear loved ones, though you cannot see it, though you cannot know it in the moment, but you rest upon the promise of God that He has promised to use this dark cloud to actually not ultimately hurt you, but to help you by drawing you closer to Him. By recognizing this fact. It's not a geographical move on God's part. Because He's never left. He's always been with you if you're His. You're never any closer to God by His vantage point than you were the moment you were saved. Because you were put in His hand and He's held you every day. But by way of our humanity and our fickle faith, we often lose sight and we feel like He's so far from us. And God will often bring the dark cloud of suffering into our lives, not to hurt us, but what? To remind us that He's here. As we come to the end of ourselves. And we realize, I only made it through that because God was with me. And that deepens our faith. What a blessing. What a joy. We move on. Number three, the shepherd purposely promotes his sheep. Now think about it. He goes from the provider, the protector, who preserves the life of the sheep despite the difficulty and now He promotes, he prospers, he blesses. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Think about it. Do you see it? Again, causative. You prepare, you make, you lead, you comfort. Do you see the sovereign grace of the Lord? You prepare. I don't prepare it. You prepare it. You prepare a table, a banquet before me in the presence of my enemies. I love it. The table here speaks of a place of peace a place of comfort, a place of sustenance, all while being in the midst of enemies. That doesn't add up. How can you have peace in the midst of your enemies? How can you have comfort when you're in the midst of people trying to hurt you? When God prepares your table, He always brings peace. And that's what He's saying. 
It's like, I, I, I will so promote and prosper my people that the enemies are standing there and they're being sustained, strengthened, and blessed. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. This speaks of a common practice of the host who's preparing the table would also anoint his guest, providing his guest with refreshing scented oil to freshen him up from the day's travel. The word anoint here means, literally in Hebrew, it means to make fat and carries the idea in the context of blessing so that God makes the head, the life of this person blessed. He makes the life prosperous. He promotes blessing upon this person. Thus, David is saying that God is the source of his joy. God is the source of his satisfaction. God is the source of his peace. My cup overflows, or, or, or better yet, translation that I was raised on in the King James, my cup runneth over, right? I love that. I love that translation. I love the imagery of it, and I think he gets it right. It overflows. Here, David, don't miss it, he's speaking of the saturation point of the satisfied soul. I know when um, I used to wash dishes before we had a dishwasher. Now I load the dishes. There you go. That's... But when we used to wash dishes, and especially when I was in Bible college and seminary, and, and that was our time to come together and see one another, and, and I would be washing the dishes and talking to Amy, my wife, and I remember the dish rag, right? The dish rag, and you pull that thing out of the, out of the, out of the bottom of the sink, and it's just like dripping, sopping wet, and you've got to wring it out because if you pull it out of the sink, it's just water running everywhere. That's what he's talking about. His soul is so satisfied by this great shepherd that he just runneth over. I don't know about you, but how do you have a soul saturated to the point of satisfaction in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sadness, in the midst of the dark valley? When the Lord takes you through it, when the Lord grows you in it, the Lord satisfies your soul by it, and you come out of it ringing wet of peace, of joy, and of grace. He's saturated to the point of satisfaction. Dear loved ones, I want you to think about this for a second. Chemistry itself, science itself, teaches us that there are, there, are certain, there are certain objects, the solubility of the object actually grows under heat, right? If you heat certain objects, they actually can absorb more. Isn't that exactly what we just saw? Think about it. Started out, my shepherd leads me in green pastures. He cares for my life. He provides for me. He's awesome. Oh, but my shepherd also preserves me as I walk through the deep, dark valley, the heat of suffering. But when I come out of it, when I come out of it by his grace and glory, I now am in a place where I can absorb more joy. Maybe, just maybe, yes, according to Scripture, Romans 5, James 1, 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 5, the Lord takes us in the midst of these dark valleys so that as we come through, He can bless us more with His presence. Remember, His presence doesn't leave, but our reliance on it is greater. And when we rely on Him more, we get to enjoy Him more. And it is the dark valley that enables me to do that, that prepares me for that. The suffering of God's saints actually increases their ability 
for satisfaction in the Savior. When you suffer and you go through life's trials, like losing loved ones and disease and sadness and child loss and and marriage breakups and all of this because of the sin of others on our lives and whatever reason, and we learn to trust the Lord, what do we find? That He is all in all. That He is everything I need. That He is all that my heart really wants. So that we can say with David in Psalm 16, at your right hand are pleasures evermore. The only thing I ask of you, Lord, is to dwell in your house forever, that I may dwell upon the beauty of the Lord forever, for that is where satisfaction comes. That is where contentment is found. And dear loved ones, let's be honest, you don't really get there apart from suffering, do you? We're just too fickle. We're just too weak. We're just too worldly. And God is kind. He's a good shepherd. He leads us by green pastures that sustain us but he leads us and walks with us and carries us through dark valleys so that when we come out, he takes us and has us a banquet feast. As I was meditating on this, I thought it was interesting. We go through life and we have the green pastures and we have the dark valleys, but where will we ultimately be promoted one day? In a banquet feast, but there will be no enemies and we will sit with Christ himself feeding. God not only promotes his sheep to prosperity in his presence with him. But as the word tells us in Revelation chapter 7, I love it. The imagery of the shepherd is used over there as well, where we see very clearly that God promotes his sheep all the way home to heaven, where he will come back as our great shepherd and he will bring us back to glory where we will have true satisfaction with him forever. Isn't that what John 14, 1-6 says? The good shepherd not only promotes his sheep to greatest, greater satisfaction and contentment in this world, but he promotes them to the world to come, where there is everlasting, true satisfaction forever. Remember John 14? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. But I go. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go away from you, what? I will return again and bring you to be with me also. Comfort one another with these things. He will promote us, both in this life, as we grow in our sanctification and rest in Him, but also in the life, ultimately in the life to come as we grow in our understanding of rest and satisfaction in His presence. A shepherd who personally provides brings confidence. A shepherd who powerfully protects and preserves brings comfort. And a shepherd who purposely promotes and prospers with joy, with the joy of his own presence, brings contentment. So how do you respond to this? Know him. Know him more. Grow in him as your shepherd. Trust him more. With all that you are and all that you have, trust your shepherd And dear loved ones, enjoy Him forever. Enjoy His presence. Enjoy His personal, powerful, purposeful presence in your life. There is nothing greater in all this world, even when you go through death, knowing that God walks with you. And that will comfort all of us. And that will help grow us in the image 
of Christ. He is our confidence. He is our comfort. And He is our ultimate contentment. Amen? That's what we receive when the Lord is our shepherd and we follow Him. Praise the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the blessing of your word. Thank you for leading and guiding us so personally, so powerfully, and so tenderly. Thank you for the confidence, for the comfort, and for the contentment that you bring, be it in ever-growing ways, but ultimately in glory as we look forward to seeing you as you are and being known by you face-to-face and being pure as we are pure. Help us to grow in these things. Comfort George and Jennifer and the family with this reality that you did promote. You did, great shepherd, come and rally your sheep, Shireen, and you brought her home to be with you. Just as you promised, you will not lose one. You brought her home to be in your fold, and as you will do all of us in our time. Thank you, Father, for the comfort for the confidence and the contentment we can have even in the midst of our sadness because you are an awesome and amazing shepherd who never loses any of your own. Thank you, Father. Bless us with these truths. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.